Hey everyone, it's Jillian Youngblood from Civic Genius. Welcome back to our special podcast series on digital disinformation and free speech. This episode is actually an extra special bluegrass edition of the podcast because you're listening to it in the run-up to our next big citizen problem-solving events, which are happening in Lexington, Kentucky at the end of September. These events are free, they're fun, there's food. Uh, you can learn how to create real workable solutions on our current topic, which is digital disinformation and free speech. So that means figuring out how we can deal with misinformation on social media, on search engines, everywhere else that you encounter it without compromising our constitutional right to free speech. So you're going to have three sessions to choose from on September 28th and 29th. They're filling up fast. So go to ourcivicgenius.org. Check out our events page to reserve your free spot now. Do not miss it. So this is a giant topic, digital disinformation and free speech. And we've been speaking with all kinds of experts to help us understand what the problems are here, how we might be able to address some of those problems and just generally help us know what we don't know. So I'm really excited today to be speaking with Kaki Urch, who is an associate professor in the School of Journalism and Media in the College of Communication and Information at the University of Kentucky. And what I love about about Kaki is that in addition to her academic experience, she brings a wealth of real world experience. She's worked as an editor. She's worked in news management roles for major media outlets. And we're going to hear more from her about that experience today. Kaki, welcome to the show. Jillian, it's so good to be here. I'm so happy to participate. Um, I am really, really excited to be talking to you today. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about your experience in media and journalism? Uh, sure. I've, I've practiced journalism in some form um, since I was 19 years old. I, I worked at the Kentucky Colonel, which is our award-winning, nationally known student newspaper here at the University of Kentucky. Then I worked at the um, Lexington Herald-Leader when it was run by John Carroll, who you may recall from uh, his Pulitzer Prize, 12 Pulitzer Prize wins at the LA Times or his work at the Baltimore Sun or the caricature of him in The Wire. So I worked for him <laughs> at my hometown paper with, you know, one of the best, one of the best journalists in, in the world in that era. He's sadly passed, but, you know, so started there and um, did uh, my uh, doctoral work at uh, Pennsylvania State University in, in rhetoric and composition, which studies, you know, messages like that. Um, and then went on uh, there. I was an editor at the Center Daily Times, which is a newspaper that was in um, the Knight Ritter group, but that was now the McClatchy group. And then I came home and I was the editor of the Kentucky Inquirer, Northern Kentucky, uh, paper that served the 300,000 people up there. And uh, then I was editor at the Kentucky Post. And then I moved to Palm Springs and I was an editor out at the Desert Sun newspaper there. I've also done some work on elections out of the Des Moines Register. So um, and now I'm blessed to be home and to be teaching all parameters of journalism to the next generation, the next two or three generations uh, here in the Commonwealth. Very very cool. Um, I was wondering if you could just, so a question that comes up a lot, or I think a topic that comes up a lot when we're talking about misinformation, disinformation is people are trying to sort of get a handle on how you decide 
what constitutes misinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, one, you know, one person's misinformation is something that someone else thinks is maybe a valid theory that they'd want to know more about. Just at a basic level, maybe kind of in the way that you would explain it to your students, could you talk a little bit about how you think about what misinformation is and how, as a journalist, you would approach that question? Well, I think um, misinformation and disinformation have a similar characteristic, which is if you question it, you cannot get back to an authentic and reasonable route. So if you say, where did this come from and who gave it to them and how did it get there? The answer is not hardly ever going to be, oh, it's from the the constitutional amendment. It's from the state law. It's from the biggest expert on that. The mayor said it on Tuesday, right? You can't really source, or as I tell the students, receipt the information because the students are all about the receipts. (laughs) So, um, and I tell them, I'm like, everything has a receipt, right? So what is the receipt for a dead body? The receipt for a dead body is an open record known as a coroner's report. You can't verify a whole bunch of things until you either talk to that coroner who says that that's a death and they have the body or, um, you know, get the report, which is an open record. Um, and we, we see that with people like, um, like cases like the Michael Jackson, uh, death where TMZ, uh, didn't wait for the coroner or else had a fourth person down at the coroner confirm it. And they went with it and they were correct, you know, and that changed the whole course of media, um, watershed moment there. But if you go back and try to find a legitimate receipt and we agree on legitimate receipts, right? So here's the thing is if we look at vote totals and we agree that something that comes from the the voting machines that are certified by a secretary of state in our state are legitimate receipts, then the vote total on win or lose is a fact. But as we've seen uh, currently, there are people who are calling into um, account and putting out dis and misinformation about the legitimacy of your actual votes that were cast. So here in Kentucky, we have a Republican Secretary of State. I think his name is Michael Adams. I don't know. He's a good Secretary of State. He's a Republican. Um, And he certified our votes. Um, And he's also been a very balanced, and this is the job of the Secretary of State, to be a balanced person who keeps, you know, the Democratic function going. Um, But still, we have people who are questioning those votes, or they'll hear about votes in some far off place that they can't really receipt, you know, um, Michigan, or downtown Philadelphia. And I know how to get the receipts in downtown Philadelphia, and so does the Philadelphia Inquirer. And if you go far enough on the internet, you will find the moment when the Philadelphia Inquirer touched that thing, gave an explanation of why those votes were in boxes going a place, and completely discounts 
the dis or misinformation that was offered about those contested votes in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. But that takes time. It takes energy. Uh, and it takes a predisposition to want to find that out. Right. I do think one thing that comes up in this is disinformation and misinformation, I think needs to be a part of civic education, even though we've cut civic education out. I think, you know, the media literacy aspect of civic education, you know, perhaps if we gamify it, right? If we make it a great game for people who are six or seven to say, can you prove that? Where's the document that proves that, you know? Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll get people into it earlier, right? But um, you know, and journalists, practicing journalists who uh, you know practice according to ethics, under pain of firing, right? Um, what people what people think about journalists itself is a little bit of misinformation that journalists are just out to quote sell papers that journalists have no ethics. I mean, we teach ethics. We teach exactly what you can and cannot do. And then if you're, um, if you're a journalist from a legitimate organization and you fail those ethics, you will be fired for the most part. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you figure, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. So I just wanted to ask you about, so I've talked to, I have a lot of friends who are journalists and I've asked them, this question before, which is how do you know that you've got it right? And they all say some, you know, if you're working on a story and they all say some version of the same thing, which I find really heartening because it shows some vulnerability, which is, you know, we do exactly what you're describing. Like we figure out what we can verify and we report what's verifiable. And we always know that there might be more out there and we're always terrified that we've missed something mm-hmm. like they, they, I feel like my friends who are, who are really strong journalists are in a constant state mm-hmm. of like worrying that they haven't gotten it right. And that makes me feel great. Like they're working nonstop. How do you separate those journalists from people who maybe work in media who do, who are not up to the same ethical standards as the journalists that we'd want to listen to? Well, um, I think it's a matter, I think it's a matter of, um, you know, we've got Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, perhaps some group, the Pew or, or civic genius or something could put together a hierarchy of truths in media, you know, um, percentages. And I think people like the, like, uh, the Pew group and stuff have done, um, have done studies of this. Uh, we also have what is now uh, celebrating its fifth anniversary. Is it is it the fact check? It's Politico. Is it Politico's factcheck.org? Yeah, factcheck.org. Might be the Annenberg Center. Maybe there are two the really Annenberg good ones. Center. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like it seems like only it yesterday that people woke up and said, "Oh, fact checking is a thing. We're all going to start entities." And now they're five years old, and perhaps. Um, except for maybe the people who are interested, you know, journalists themselves, perhaps, to go into the fact checking and say, oh, that's true or it's not. Um, I think one thing, um, I think one thing that may uh, make some inroads is depending on what happens with the January 6th um, trials and um, sentences and 
people who have been through that. There are people who have, um, who are in that, who believed uh, disinformation and misinformation that was possibly articulated by the president or other people that came to Washington for something and now maybe realize that they based their entire, you know, call to action on something that maybe wasn't true. So, you know, um, I can't even remember what the false premises were, but they were false. Um, So, um, you know, it's just tracing, tracing stuff back to the source and also looking, I think, especially in the, in the instance where Facebook was used um, as people proved later, but um, in real time, in the pres in the voting for the presidential election, right between Hillary Clinton and uh, uh, President uh, former President Donald Trump, um, I'm on Facebook, right, and so and I'm in the state of Kentucky, and I'm a journalist, so I don't really have a political click on my social media. I'm very bland and don't uh, you know post anything other than I think girls should be able to vote. That's one of my political stances. Ugh. Um, right. I know. Right. So, um, but, and then, you know, I'm also, I'm, I'm very engaged with, you know, all of this different stuff. So what the internet seems to think I am is, um, a Southern older, which is true, African American, poor white, uneducated woman. And so I get right either poor white or poor black, either one. Um, so I get those, I get that serve up, you know, I live in, you know, and I was seeing as this was happening, um, I was seeing, um, including the, the Facebook one that went out to people that brought the the man from North Carolina to come to Washington, DC to protect the children in the pedophile pizza ring. Right. I saw that. And I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Luckily, this is so obviously from the Russians because the grammar problems, the grammar was so ever so slightly. um, You could tell it was from a a Russian person whose English was really good. But Mm -hmm. I've been to Russia. So obviously people, you know, people were taken in by it. I was like, oh, it's so obviously Russian or fake. But people were really taken in by that. There was also, I saw another one. This was a part where Facebook was, again, thinking I'm an older Southern Black woman. Um, uh, that saying that just vote from home. You can vote from home now. You can't vote from home. Was, was that true in Kentucky? No, of course it wasn't true in no. Kentucky. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't vote from home at all. There's no voting on election day from home. Just do it on the internet. No. Mm-hmm. You know? So, um, and then the other thing was, um, even at the previous presidential election, I was taken in by this. Um, people said, you know, people uh, in the Republican Party were all over the talk show saying that um, that black people had given up on Obama and were not coming out to vote for Obama and whatever. And I lived in a black neighborhood and I'm like, God, we are so far behind in Kentucky, but there's Obama signs everywhere in my black neighborhood. They haven't caught up apparently, but it wasn't true. It wasn't true at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so that's, you know, some kinds of disinformation and it was very steady. I really noticed it in that Facebook period where I was kind of 
you know, if you went through the algorithm and, and tried to push this out to some people in Kentucky, poor old white lady, that's me. It is so funny how you can recognize, like if you're in somebody else's algorithm. Mm -hmm. So I do, I play this all the time where I like create multiple profiles to see what kinds of different information I can see. I know my social media profiles are, are a terrifying wreck, Um, but it is wild because there are things that are targeted at me to the extent that the algorithm knows what I'm actually interested in. Mm -hmm. And I would like to think I am fairly savvy at this stuff, but if I'm looking at something that is fed to me, Mm -hmm. I definitely take it more seriously and spend more time on Mm -hmm. it than when I'm looking at like a fake Jillian profile where it's very obvious to me when Mm -hmm. I put in these other characteristics that don't have any emotional resonance with me, Mm -hmm. what's fake. Right. It is a fascinating experience. I mean, you know, I'm, I live by myself and I have a, a little Jack Russell Terrier. And so when I go out of the day, you know, to run my work, I say, okay, now we're going to put on Daniel Tiger for you. And then we put Daniel Tiger on so that the dog has something to watch that's upbeat and calming, good for behavior. And one day I did that. And the very next moment, I have no children right? I I don't babysit. I I have no children. I am served up a Daniel Tiger advertisement by, you know, the computer that just apparently overheard me tell the dog that I was putting on Daniel Tiger. (laughs) I could go to work. So um, (laughs) you start getting like coupons in the mail for baby formula. Right. This is the thing. Um, I don't feel bad about that. I don't have a ring camera. Um, because it, you know, that algorithm feeds back to different places, but I kind of feel like it's, we're kind of like post privacy in terms of those, Mm -hmm. in terms of those characteristics. And then it becomes, um, it becomes our job to figure out kind of in the field of data where, uh, we're going to put our belief really. Right. Yeah. So what, so in that vein of where we want to put our trust mm-hmm. and at a time when there's incredibly low trust on both, you know, really across the political spectrum, mm-hmm. really low trust in media people, of course, when you ask them that question, how much do you trust the media? Mm-hmm. I'm doing like stupid air quotes yeah. here. Um, people are thinking of very different sources, right? So mm-hmm. someone might say, oh, CNN, that's lies. Or, oh, do you mean the One American News Network? Obviously that's lies. So this is a you know big question with um, a lot of answers. But what would you say, like, why is the Herald Leader or the Philadelphia Inquirer a good source? Okay. Uh, why so you you're asking them? why is why is a large scale... Uh, in the case of the Herald Leader, uh, corporate-run newspaper, and in the case of the Philadelphia Inquirer, nonprofit-run. Okay, because the Philadelphia Inquirer was acquired by a nonprofit that's trying to run it. Um, those entities have something to sue for, right? And when it comes down to the end of the day journalism ethics are also also just a means not to get sued. Truth is the absolute defense to libel, right? So if we're being very careful to put in um, 
only things that we know are true. We are protecting ourselves as journalists from lawsuits. We are protecting the parent company. And then the parent company does a lot of, you know, screening and schooling of journalists in-house. And this is why we have levels of editors and so forth who will read uh, stories for um for these kinds of things, the stories that some people are calling disinformation or fake news have been through attorneys for, for veracity. And those attorneys, I'm, I don't think people know this, that if we have, if we have a story of, on the order of, of some of the things that people have called fake news, those have already gone through big New York attorneys. Um, in the case of, for example, the New York times and their big takeout on, um, on Donald Trump and his what? his draft, his draft podiatrist or whatever, which, well, it it was, it had his draft podiatrist in there, but it also had a big history of his, of his um, legal and tax affairs for which the one man has just pleaded guilty. Right. Right. Um, That guy was the, perhaps the deep throat on that, but that goes through lawyers and lawyers and lawyers. Um, you know, it's not it's not some Woodward and Bernstein sort of thing, really, where they're just writing off the cuff because that looks good in the Robert Redford movie. You know, right. even even the case when you look at a movie like The Post, where it's sort of a, the same newspaper, but in a different era, you you actually see the lawyering happening right in that. Right. Um, so the, they're legitimate that way. Um, they're legitimate in that we have a trust you know, when we know journalists who are people and people who are journalists, we have a trust in them as rational actors of wanting to be considered believable tomorrow because they're going to write something tomorrow, right? If you write something untrue about the Kentucky Wildcats basketball team, you are probably not covering them tomorrow, right? Um, If you... um, you know, if you write something untrue or slanted about, you know, a particular policy of a p- politician, they're not returning your call. It doesn't mean you lose your job, but, you know, the sources and we, we all the greatest sources for any journalist are the people who say, well, that was not good, but it was true. right you've got them i mean you've got uh you know um uh, you know it reminds me one time i used to be um an editor in in palm springs california and um so the the um the prince of monaco right uh supposedly had an illegitimate child and who was supposedly born in indio california which was in our area (laughs) in our, our courthouse Oh, and, I love the local intrigue. Yeah, so right. So in any case, you know, it was 2.30 in the morning and and we had kind of reported it. There was the, the mother was trying to, you know, maybe get some support from the Prince of Monaco and acknowledge this child who lived in Palm Desert, apparently, or whatever. And so I go home one night and I'm asleep and it's three in the morning and it's the AP from Paris, France. And they wonder, do you happen to have a scan of that birth certificate? I'm like, oh yeah, we got that. I'll go back to the office and send it to you. Right? We <laughs> we didn't run it until we had somebody physically go to the courthouse and scan it. Right? And then when the Associated Press calls, they are not running it in France and all of Europe, which is six hours ahead of us. I'm asleep. It's eight in the morning in France. They're 
until until they have from a legitimate associated press member uh you know news organization a physical proof of the fact mm-hmm. we teach that we teach that to our journalism students in our accredited journalism schools and we um you know we teach it to our public relations people too because mm-hmm. the public relations code of ethics is very very close to the society of professional journalists code of ethics so um and that's somehow how we're teaching it this semester we are we're saying you know yeah these are very close it's interesting because i you know there's this refrain um there's always a refrain uh, encouraging people to do their own research. And it's such a like <laughs> open-ended way right, right, right. of that's, sending that's someone off. It's a really good point. Like, I, you know, people are talking about healthcare matters and they're saying, um, you know, I'll do my own research. I'm like, do you know how long it takes to get a PhD in an NIH grant? Right. And right. like I'm how like, to do the how, research. And then, then you got to do all those cultures. You got to get the subjects. You got to go through IRB. I mean, I think that this guy's already done it. Let's believe him, right? So, right. Um, and it's like, why would someone know? It's fair if you don't know how to, you know, that there is a thing called a coroner's report and that there's a way to go get it. Like you might not <laughs> even know. There's just this, there's a lack of civic education, I think, that so many people have. And I don't even mean to say this in terms of like, Americans don't know anything about the government. It's just mm-hmm. like, everyone is busy. You specialize in something at mm-hmm. your job. Maybe you have a family that you're taking care mm-hmm. of. Like, I don't expect that people would say, okay, I need to go find out how to pull a birth certificate from, you know, like this right, is right, stuff right. that is someone's job. <laughs> right, and- right, right. And okay, so maybe that's the point here is, um, you know, journalism and reporting and also content making that claims to be fact bearing, right? Um, in an area where, you know, we, we are, using truth and we're not secret agents from Russia, you know, always traces back to something, to something real or else that person is a non-rational actor. They are just committing, you know, either platform suicide because they'll be taken off of Twitter or Facebook, uh, or they're committing uh, career suicide, or they're really as, um, as is almost a sport these days, we find in discourse, um, people who use, for example, Reddit and 4chan um, talk about SH asterisk T posting, you know, so, you know, mm-hmm. crap posting, right? Yeah. And they're just doing it for, you know, right? It's doing it for the fun, right? Which is for the lols, you know, as they no, say. The lols, right? The, and, <laughs> It's not, and it's, it's, it's not funny to some poor guy from North Carolina who comes up to save these children. Right. Um, and, uh, you're talking about the pizza, the, the pizza, the, the, the children who were not in the basement of, of, of fun pizza place that all people took their kids to in Washington, that they were claiming that somebody who was running for president was involved in, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, it's turning, it's turning different words into on both sides, you know, it's turning different words into kind of inflammatory objects, you know, it's kind of like bat signals to, to get a, 
you know, get a rise out of folks. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Talk to me about, so you mentioned TMZ earlier, which is such a good example. Um, We teach TMZ. I teach TMZ in my classes. That moment, that very moment is a watershed moment where the, um, the nature of news turned because how do you mean? Well, okay. So TMZ, which, um, stands for the 30 mile zone, right? Which is the 30 mile zone outside of which you have to pay Hollywood union people more. So it's really focused on Hollywood. Um, but TMZ posted that Michael Jackson was dead and no one who was quote legitimate could confirm it for 90 minutes. And this was how long ago was I this? I believe like it was maybe. I believe it was. Uh, it was maybe in two thousand eight, maybe, mm-hmm. um, two thousand nine. I can't remember. But um, and it was it was right about the same time when um, when Obama was getting uh, sworn into his first term. You know, Obama Obama changed the nature of news notification and truth notification on the night that he accepted the uh the nomination because that for that they did not have any standard presser they did not have a press secretary do anything they did not send out paper they didn't have an appointment they sent email right mm-hmm. or don't oh, no, i'm so sorry they sent text okay <laughs> i was here just about to start my job in kentucky and um i didn't have my tv hooked up yet right as you do when you first come in and I found it out because it came text. They didn't do a standard presser. So then then that starts to be a norm, right? So the moment that TMZ reports on where? Twitter, that Michael Jackson has, has passed away. And we look and we look and we wait and we wait to see the Associated Press or the Los Angeles Times or the New York Times or somebody else to come with the headline for us to see that it's true. And nobody does because they're doing what journalists do, which is they're calling the coroner. Coroner's not answering, right? Or he's right. not he's not got a report out yet or whatever. They are not going to call this death until they can prove it. TMZ to them is not approvable a report. They could maybe say a Los Angeles, you know, blog is reporting. Um, but for 1.5 hours, the legitimate press was super scooped by mm-hmm. people who, I mean, the, the thing is the, the person who runs TMZ is an attorney. So he knew what he knew, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So how do you decide, use the phrase legitimate press? And it's such an interesting, because I certainly at that time would not, would have thought of TMZ as like the National Enquirer. Right. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, they're actually breaking it's, that's news. Right, right. It's on TMZ. <laughs> it must be true because they were right about Michael Jackson. Right. Right. So they were right in one case. How, right. like, where do we put TMZ in the well, like, I think, in the landscape? I think TMZ, you know, and then there's other, there's other people who are very, very legitimate press just because of their their own scruples, um, like uh, was it Deadline Hollywood mm-hmm. that was started by um, you know a very well respected insider inside inside Disher in Hollywood 
who is never wrong and is extremely well sourced. Now it's broader. I think she's sold, but um, they're still very, very quite accurate. Um, but um, I don't know. So who are who are your trusted sources in terms of your information? I mean, that's something we could maybe we could maybe teach students earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's not like a nasal swab or something for yeah, figuring right. out, no, like, is no, this a good, t- is this a good source? To your point, um, it's like, you have to sort of wait, mm-hmm. like you don't know right away necessarily. There's not an easy answer to that question. It sounds like the way to figure out if someone is a good source is to it's like, see how they map to other sources. Like are, are other sources that you already trust citing them? Mm-hmm. Are they, which can get you into some trouble depending who you already trust right well here's the thing is if your if your media says you know jillian youngblood told the herald leader in a phone interview that she would be in lexington kentucky in late september to conduct disinformation misinformation workshops it goes literally you know when they talk about the horse's mouth that's the horse's mouth Right. So we are very careful in legitimate media to say Mitch McConnell said in a news release, quote, whatever he said, it's not to imply that we were standing next to Senator McConnell and he spoke with us. If we were with Senator Senator McConnell, we would say Senator Mitch McConnell speaking to a gaggle, you know, in the Senate area, whatever, or Mitch McConnell in Louisville campaigning spoke to local press saying, right, or in an interview at the Courier Journal's offices in Louisville, Senator McConnell said, right, so we're very specific about that. Um, And here's, you know, the other thing is, it is very, very uh, difficult, arduous and expensive to both file and defend libel accusations, right? And so we, we see, we see um, for example, President Trump, who really is all about this, former President Trump, is all about this fake news thing. He is always announcing which newspaper he's suing, right? And then when you go to the lawyer, right? The lawyer says, I will not file. They have truth, right? You know, it's they've got truth, which is the absolute defense to libel. So, um, and you know, in that's in our country and that's in our current understanding of first amendment and libel law could be reconstructed. I think we've heard some people on the court maybe talking about wanting to change that. Right. But, Mm -hmm. um, so, and so why is disinformation bad? Um, Disinformation is bad, as we've seen with some really good, believable reporting from people who are great international reporters about, um, you know, uh, inter- international sort of espionage, um, and bring us real facts and details from what's going on uh, in Russia about how the barnacling, as they call it, of the facts and different things that were thrown out to literally put a state of chaos into our election information, right? So 
um, that's believable, right? I mean, when they when people do big feature stories about how other countries use cyber practices and those exact cyber practices, those are real. They're not they're not made up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you see that in the New York Times, the New York Times has gone to extraordinary expense to fund that person to live in China, to build their sources, you know, to be fluent in Chinese and everything else they need to do. Uh, a score of assistants, fixers, and lawyers. Yeah. So it's not just it's not just a made up thing. Um, reporting the sources of dis and misinformation. We also have the people in the Pentagon. Um, and uh, the Department of State, who, you know, if we don't trust the people in the Pentagon and the Department of State, that's that's hard, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, so as a, as a newspaper editor, former newspaper editor, I will say, newspaper people and television news producer people, right, same, same thing these days, see a lot of search warrants affidavits and returns, right? Like many of my best friends are federal search warrants. Um, So the FBI people who write these affidavits, right? They are very, very good writers. They are straight to the point. There is not, unless it's a color describing some piece of clothing, there's not an adjective or a fluff word in there. I have never seen a typo in an affidavit, never seen a typo in almost anything from the federal government, really. And then the receipts, right? Again, so the thing called the return, did you get the return on the warrant? That's literally the receipt. So those are very, very specific directly to what they got because they have to return it. And they are a goldmine of information. And they are literally the receipts for federal cases. And I'm talking about people who have embezzled, you know, millions of dollars from people's homes by not making their mortgages good. This guy named Bill Erpenbeck, who's serving time in Florida. We covered him for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the priests, the search warrants for the priest cases, read yeah. every deposition, every affidavit for that for like six dioceses in Cincinnati. Um, and they're, you know, they're filled with, they're filled with real facts. Um, you know, and uh, interestingly, I think one thing about misinformation and disinformation and how trailing right back to those receipts really breaks it apart. We see the case of Jeffrey Epstein in Florida and the remarkable Miami, uh, Herald reporter, Julia is her first. Did she win a Pulitzer? I believe she did. I believe she did. Yes. Um, and she's she's working in Philadelphia right now. Um, she went home to Philadelphia for something. But um, she went and she pulled those federal affidavit receipts, those search warrants, the receipts from the findings, the the rulings, the different motions. And we all don't have to become many New York Timeses at home, right? Right. Like, so, but but that's you know misinformation and disinformation. It. Um, you know, and it can turn, it can turn friends against friends, right? Families Mm -hmm. against families. So if somebody's on this algorithm and somebody's on this algorithm and they come to Thanksgiving, it's, you know, it's World War III. Tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm not only a client, I'm a practitioner mm. of, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, it's so interesting because, um, you don't necessarily, to your point, you don't necessarily need to learn as an individual citizen, how to go do these things, mm -hmm. but it's really helpful to know what journalists do. How do they verify mm -hmm. facts? How do they decide something is true? Like there are professional standards. Mm -hmm. People do go to school for this. Right. Um, you know, there's opinion writing um, that you might find sensational, or there is, mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of cable news that mm -hmm. um, maybe more entertainment than journalism. And I think mm -hmm. it can become difficult for people to know which is which. Well, and this is the thing is, okay, so um, we teach this in school and we know it as we work in the field, right? So um, opinion is cheap. Fact costs. If you want fact and you want it really to be verified, you need to get somebody down to that train station where this is happening and you have to pay for their, you have to pay them to be a competent enough person to to drive and have a car and get out there and get the receipts in and whatever. Um, if you, like I was talking about with the New York times doing that work in China or, or work in uh, or Russia, or um, if you want fact and you want to own it, right. That costs opinion. It's cheap, right? All you have to do is think of it, assemble it and push it out. But if you want fact, you have to go to Syria right? We can't just say that the Syri Syrians are doing this and Assad is doing that. Okay. Now, if you have the satellite, then we have to do some other things and check to the veracity of the satellite and always bear in mind that somebody may be faking us out with a satellite, right? Is it our satellite? Cause we're not going to believe it if it's not our satellite, right? Now we have drones and that's what drones can do for us, right? As journalists, drones can bring us receipts. So, um, and we do have a course in our, in our college too, of drone journalism. You can Ooh, get, that oh fun. yeah, it's uh, journalism 377. It's taught by, uh, assistant professor David Stevenson, who was a POYI photographer of the year two times, which is like an Oscar in photography. So he's a great colleague and we, and it leads you, it leads you to being able to pass the FAA test. So our journalists that we're training here are getting FAA licenses to operate drones. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything, so we're going to be in Lexington at the end of September. We're going to be talking about these kinds of issues. Is there anything happening in Lexington or in Kentucky that you think people should be aware of as they think about this topic? Hmm. Um, well, I think we're, um, I think we're going through a phase right now of, um, you know, we had the, um, we had this, this sad instance of the death of Breonna Taylor in Louisville, which is one of our major cities, Louisville, as we're supposed to say it. I was, I wasn't going to correct you because yeah, I'm not Louisville. From there. Louisville. <laughs> if you're Jack Harley, Harlow, you say Louisville. But anyway, so, um, the, the Louisville police, uh, uh, shot and killed Breonna Taylor. Um, and there was, misinformation and disinformation put out from some channels that were official police channels. Um, and brilliant journalists who knew the ground, knew the area and were part of the community. Um, I'm thinking in particular of Philip Bailey, who was of the courier journal at the time is now with USA today. 
I grew up in the West End of Louisville, and uh, a guy named Joe Zonka um, and others, Andrew Wolfson, went and went literally went to the receipts of the warrant and to the affidavit of the warrant, which was not prepared by an FBI officer or agent. It was prepared by a local officer that was trying to get this warrant to be, to be written. Um, and that was not, that did not create um, an indictment in our attorney general's grand jury. So our Daniel Cameron, who was not, but now it's at the federal phase, okay? So we have a case where the New York Times is now reporting some things out of the federal case with facts that Philip Bailey reported in the Courier Journal when he and other Courier Journal reporters went to the till to find where the receipts were. Um, it's just they've been processed through a federal investigator doing the same thing right and so it's not like they it's not like they they came to the same conclusion that the journalists who were first trying to and they have indicted them mm -hmm. so um i think that's important i think um it's in Kentucky, it is often easy for us to figure out if it's a trustworthy news source because we are a small state of 4.5 million. We are um, pretty pretty unified as a group and our areas are distinct. We have Eastern Kentucky, we have Northern Kentucky, Central Kentucky, the Bluegrass region where you're coming and then Western Kentucky also called the Penny Rile. Uh, our big cities are you know, known by everybody, Covington, Lexington, Louisville, um, and these organizations. Um, and we all are connected. You know, everybody is somebody's cousin. So like, where did you get that? Oh, it was in the Courier Journal. Who said it? In the, who, who reported it? People know they're journalists here, right? Um, and the, the, here's one thing is we, the average Kentuckian, does this with basketball. Okay, so basically we have a we have a big blue nation here for the University of Kentucky and they the the most newsy news in our state is about the basketball team. And by the basketball team, we do not mean the University of Louisville basketball team. Right? We mean the University of Kentucky basketball team. Mm -hmm. To the point when when they had to split area codes for, you know, for size and population growth. And they wanted to take the 606 and turn the Lexington portion of it into the 859, which stands for UKY. <laughs> the Eastern part of the state was very angry because we are fans too. All right. People can get mobilized. I know, right. I know. Motivated. Right? But in any case, so, so the team is the team, right? And here's the thing is we have journalists, we have, you know, Calipari is going to do this or so-and-so is going to do that. We don't have any, you know, this kind of defense. We don't have that. We haven't got a point guard. And then who says that, right? Well, if it's, if it's, um, you know, if it's, uh, if it's John Clay of the Herald leader, Everybody will take his word for it. They've been reading John Clay, who graduated from our school, for 25 years. 
Mm-hmm. Who said that? Was it Jerry Tipton who just retired from the Herald Leader, who people love to hate because he reports on the team factually, and if they do something wrong, he reports it, right? Is it from Matt Jones, who's kind of an entrepreneurial startup kind of a guy who's a homer, but you know is also very knowledgeable and hilariously funny and a lawyer? I hate Matt Jones. I don't trust him. He doesn't, you know, I don't, the way he covers... I don't hate Matt Jones. Matt Jones is pretty good. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, a guy named John Hale, you know, these all of these different reporters. Um, Jen Smith, who's now one of my colleagues, she wrote, she wrote about women's basketball. Did Jen Smith say it? Well, okay. Well, I'll believe it. Yeah. Okay, so you'll do this with your sports, right? You'll do it with your blogs and your sports. But when it comes to international affairs, you're going to let just anybody come and talk to you about something that's only slightly less important than Kentucky basketball, you know, <laughs> like the Russians giving us, you know, spy codes, you know, the American hierarchy of needs. I know hierarchy of needs. Right. So that's what we need. We need, we need media hierarchy of, it needs to rhyme. So media hierarchy of, I'll figure it out. We'll come like, up with it. Come up with it. Right. <laughs> and, um, uh, and people have, people have, you know, they've, there's a media left, right and center sort of thing that's been done. That's kind of a scatter plot with the different, um, logos. People do challenge that. Um, and the, and the labels that get put to that, like the notion of something being liberal or, you know, these mm-hmm. different, these different things, um, people are challenging right now, whether, um, the word conservative means conservative or it means something farther in terms of the limits of free speech. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Yeah. Um, this has been so interesting and useful. No. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be asked. I'm thrilled to be included in a group that includes my colleague, Dr. Shannon Oldman from, uh, from our communications and informations college. And um I'm really looking forward to being part of one of these uh, sessions uh, in late September and hearing what people have to say. I think it'll be fun. I'm excited to meet you there in person. All right, right, great. Thank you so much, Kaki Urch. 